And I typically refer to this kind of, I think it's Thomas Edison, the guy who invented the light bulb, saying that <laughs> I didn't fail. I just found 10,000 ways that the light bulb wouldn't go on. Hi, Stefan. How are you? Welcome to CSM Toolbox. Hi, Isabel. I'm good. Sun is shining here in Copenhagen and yeah, ready to do a good podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you. And well, now you're saying you're in Denmark, in Copenhagen. Maybe if you could do a quick introduction about yourself to our listeners. Yeah. So most recently, what I've been working on is uh, is a company called uh, DreamData.io, uh, which is uh, you can call it a revenue attribution, revenue automation platform for B two B companies. And in in this company, I, I'm the chief marketing officer and uh, co-founder. And uh, yeah, maybe related to the show as well, then the CS team is kind of also linked to me. So I try to not bring in too many bad fit customers with marketing because I know the, it's just going to be turning out, out bad together with the CS team. In general, I've, ever since I finished university, I've been working in, in B2B companies with growth marketing related stuff and though all those companies has been internet based digital based so one might say that i've never really worked in a in a real company <laughs> but it's a thing has been going pretty good but yeah today i'm a co-founder and a cmo and yeah including in that is also leading not leading the but being a support for the cs team when they need me it's great we always see that partnership between customer success and other departments as well we're kind of one of these venture funded companies and investors care a lot about churn like the fear of losing customers so all the way through our company we want to attract the good fit customers the salespeople try to sell to people who look like they're ideal for our product and you know that will make the job of cs people a lot easier if we don't bring in people we basically shouldn't have sold to. And I know you gave a brief introduction about Dream Data, but if perhaps you could tell us what problem is Dream Data trying to solve? So the problem we're trying to solve is this, as you could say, all the complexity that is involved in going to market for a B2B company. And the reason why there, there's a lot of complexity in this is that, you know, journeys take six 12 months from like from the first touch until you get the deal signed. You typically see the B2Bs are buying as a team. So you're going to meet three, four, five, six stakeholders during the deal. Your own team passes in and out of the, the deal. Sometimes we bring in CS people to help reply technical stuff. Salespeople is involved. Marketing is involved as well. And on top of this, you know, particularly in the SaaS companies, which is our ICP, they use so many different tools. So like they generate different silos of data touches or digital touches. <laughs> so you have kind of have you, have, you have your CRM system, you have your customer success tool, you have your marketing automation tool, you might have an outreach software, and then, you know, each of them represents their own silo. And what Dream Data does, coming back to it, <laughs> is that we plug into all these places where you have information about an account journey. So if there's salespeople who've called uh, the customer and had a meeting with them, the, the customer has also chatted on uh, intercom or send desk and marketing has been sending them automated mails, then all of these touches will go into the same account journey inside of Dream Data, uh, along with all the information about what have people been doing on your website until now. So 
The dream data data model is what we call account-based. So that means that Isabel and Stefan can be doing separate things, but if they're part of the same company, we plot those touches into the same time. So that solves this kind of, we solve this account-based customer journey mess. And then you can say, okay, what do you use it for? Well, <laughs> particularly in B2B, the marketing touches tend to be the earlier parts of the journey, whereas it's the salespeople who normally signs the contracts and then everybody's happy. But marketing needs a way to understand, is it this ad or is it this ad? Is it this piece of content or this piece of content? And by knowing all the touches along this timeline, we're able to say these touches leads to accounts that go far down the pipeline. These touches, unfortunately, don't go anywhere. So let's repeat the things that are working. And basically, that's what we help the companies with that in uh, with Dream Data. If it's one, you know, you don't sign a six-digit contract with any customer because somebody clicked on a Facebook ad. <laughs> you sign them because your salespeople did a lot of work, your CS people did a lot of work, and then there's like this multitude of touches all over the place. And as a company, you can only spend your dollar one time. <laughs> and if it's exactly my last company, CS was kind of crucial in like upselling to accounts. And if you don't have this information, then you might go invest in another click from another ad instead of actually putting the money into, you know, the CS activity. We were selling back then, we were selling a hardware device to businesses. And then they would then typically just buy one or two of these devices until that they, they, they could actually see that it worked. And that was typically the CS people fixing that. And then the whole school would then go ahead and buy 50 or 100 of this device. And if you didn't have those touches generated through intercom, it was in this case, you wouldn't understand that on the road to upsell, that activity back and forth on intercom was actually the main part of upselling to the account. So we want to take all the touches that, at, that touches the accounts, and then we can present you the analysis. And then instead of you sub-optimizing on spending a little bit extra on an ad, we look at the whole picture of the whole journey. Stefan, what have you learned from your customers' feedback so far? A lot, because we've run basically on a principle that we're, we will not build any features that people are not willing to pay for. So this kind of super close collaboration with the people who are paying for our product, those are the people we listen to. And when we have a new feature, it's also, or a new integration for that sense, we need to have somebody who says, I need this integration. I need this feature. So we run a super close collaboration with our, our customers and they, I wouldn't say dictate, but they, they get to give a big input into what kind of features are the next ones we're, we're building. And, you know, it can be everything from a detail, like I don't need the, all these decimals to numbers to <laughs> we need to build a whole new content feature or, or something like that. So, so it, it's extremely important for us, but under the notion that they should be willing to pay for it. And just not not just to say, oh, I could also be nice with the, this because then you only have that those that many engineering resources, and if they spend time on fulfilling every need, then we probably run out of money before we we get anywhere. I think it's always a case of you cannot please everyone, and as you are attributing, well, if they are willing to pay for it, but I always say that at the same time they are helping you build and make any improvements along the way. So much. And, you know, also when you then release new stuff, it's super important that customers come back to us and say, this thing is broken. <laughs> you could have done this thing better because there's a limit to how much internal Q&A you can do. It just needs to go out there and get battle tested by, by real customers who use the product every day. <laughs> 
what are your thoughts on product-led growth versus customer-led growth? It's not a term I've worked so much with before, but I would say to me, it sounds like something that should go hand in hand. Like, as you say, trying to come up with product-led growth gets a little bit too scientific, too imaginary. If if it's not led through finding out what could actually be a valuable feature for your customers, who would actually appreciate these things instead of like sitting in a room coming up with one <laughs> fantastic idea that people are just going to love. So I think we, the way we work with it is that we try to think about what this customer is saying. Is this, this somewhat applicable for all customers? If this is true, that definitely sounds like something that should implement to, so everybody gets a it gets a piece of it. What I particularly like about product led is that you know it goes along. You know, the the main thought is that you get to try stuff before you buy it, <laughs> which I think is is the way most people try at least prefer to buy software nowadays. Like instead of trust me, it works. It, it's I'll test for myself and see if it works. And then we can have a sales conversation afterwards. And I think that's a very, very meaningful way of going to market through the way of we need to let the customer test our product, see if it works. And if it works, we can have sales conversations. So that's, that's the part of product led I like. And, you know, I couldn't imagine not working customer led. So I think to me, it sounds like it should be two complementary things rather than like opposing uh, topics. Yeah. And I maybe even going back to your role as a co-founder and CMO, what skills do you think are essential to not just survive but to thrive you need to build some thick skin when you're working in a in a startup let me try and mention a few things but in a startup and maybe in in marketing in general you're constantly going to be trying stuff that's not working <laughs> things are broken <laughs> and i typically refer to this kind of i think it's thomas edison the guy who invented the light bulb saying that <laughs> i didn't fail i just found ten thousand ways that the light bulb wouldn't go on or something like that i kind of that's that fixed skin for like failure you need to build and just keep pushing through try to write down your ideas for what you should do carry them out evaluate when it's over and then you know do more of what works so i think to, uh, actually i think the mindset about like just think about everything as an experiment is probably the best advice i can give anybody because then you get into this mode of trying to come up with a project Carry out the project, see if it works. If it doesn't work, stop it. Uh, if it does work, you try to put a few more resources into it again uh, when you do it once more. So I think for me, it's kind of this uh, like a persistent mindset and a thick skin. Yeah, I would maybe see, call a, a key component in, in getting through this because you can't win these things on you know a drawing board. You need to go out and try in the real world and see what actually works. Now I have most experience in startup and scale-ups. And I think one of the, I wouldn't say stupid, but one of the wrong things you can do is to lay plans that are too far into the future because the whole world can be looking completely different three months from now. Some new technology comes along, a new comp competitor or some of the things you did work super well. So now it's a whole new situation. So we, obviously we have some ideas about the future, but we mainly work with quarterly plans because that's kind of, That's the scope where you kind of have an idea is of where is the landscape right now and where do we want it to go. And it also gives enough room to actually go execute on the ideas without it becoming too much of, you know, just a scientific drawing board exercise. Does that make sense? I mean, I think it's great to plant. Obviously, you will need to have that strategy as well for you and the team and to scale. But as you said, 
we don't know what could happen in three months' time. And I think since 2020, I, I think a lot of people <laughs> were not expecting to be working from yeah. home or having a hybrid environment or, yeah, everything that has happened. And I think we touched on this earlier around one of the closest partners for customer success in most cases will be marketing. What advice will you give us to build or improve the partnership between success and marketing? So I'm a big believer in producing a ton of content with the purpose of, you know, the customer being basically able to self-serve all the way through to making a decision about whether to buy a product or not. And, you know, these questions that see us, you know, they should constantly be feeding back. These are the topics we hear about. These are the questions we're getting asked. You know, those questions are just gold for producing marketing content and finding ways to, you know, like getting to that vision of actually helping people self-serve all the way through to getting to understand what the product does, scoping out whether they want to buy or not, and then also implement. So I think making sure that you, whether it's a once a month or once a week or once a quarter, make sure to, to give marketing the information about these are the key topics we're seeing at the moment. These are the questions we are consistently being asked. These are the things that are persistently troubling us. And give the, the, that information to the marketing team. Maybe even like go give presentations about it. So maybe we're attracting the wrong people. Maybe we can help fix these problems with, you know, the copy on the website and so forth. So I think the you're sitting on a gold mine when it comes to, <laughs> to the conversations you constantly are having with the customers. I think both marketing and CS are not doing their job completely if they're not speaking to each other because marketing needs to check see us happy about the work we're doing and so inform marketing that these are the hot topics at the moment to help answer. If there's nice cases about you can read how one company is using your product and if you're making a decision on whether to purchase from a vendor or not, you'll always go check the reviews and CS has a really good, you know, thing, uh, uh, a good feeling about who to ask for those reviews. I think it's just so key that CS helps identify possible case studies and help gathering a lot of reviews and all these review platforms out there. Because again, that helps people make a decision about whether to buy your product or not. I was thinking as well that with this partnership and maybe in your experience as CMO and working with different departments, I know there is a lot of people trying to either move from other industries or other roles to customer success. But I'm, I know there is an audience that perhaps from customer success, they might want to move to marketing. Is there any transferable skills that will come to mind that can actually fit quite well into from success? Um, I think that knowledge that you have, uh, particularly if you've, let's say you've been in a company for a while and you really know who the customer are and what they like and what they don't like, that really translates well into all sorts of content related roles, whether that is writing stuff or whether that's, you know, being a podcast host as you are, or it could be producing a webinar series because you know exactly what the customers care about. It could be what do you put under your ads because you know what the customers normally like to hear. So I think there's a lot of like this deep understanding who about who our customers are and what they like and what they don't like that transfers into, you know, <laughs> almost any marketing discipline because you know, that's what's going to make yeah, the, the marketing work. That's great to hear. Thanks, Stefan. 
And well, before I let you go, one question that I like to ask all of my guests. What's in your toolbox? Other than Dream Data, of course, what mobile or web app you cannot live without? And it can be work and not work related. Amplitude, Google Data Studio, Ahrefs, and Dream Data. That's kind of the, the four tools that I use uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good toolbox. So if, <laughs> if there will be a place, Stefan, where folks will want to reach out to you, it will be the best place for them to do that. That's LinkedIn. That's where uh, <laughs> some would say I spend too much time, but I, I'm pretty active there and communicate with our customers directly and do post. So they can just uh, find me there and I'm happy to reply any question they, they might have. Okay, great. I'll make sure to have your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So thank you so much, Stefan. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you, Isabel. Esse podcast foi editado por Aerolitos, edição inteligente.